Dare to be Bold is brought to you by J Forks Designs Lifestyle Accessory Brand. Here at J Forks Designs, Dare to be Bold is more than our motto. It's our way of life. For our podcast series, we are interviewing people who live boldly. I'm the host, Casey Forks. Today, we got to sit down with Mike Kurth to discuss his experience during the Battle of Mogadishu and his life afterwards. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Dare to Be Bold, brought to you by J Forks Designs. My name is Casey. I'm your host. I am here with Mike Kurth in his beautiful home. Thank you so much for welcoming us in here and allowing us to do this. Thank you for being with us. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. How are you today? I'm doing well. Good. good. Doing good. You, Mike, um, have a really cool story. So um, we are very appreciative that you are willing to share that with us and talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, actually, I have a confession. I read a chapter in a book called... The Battle of Mogadishu. The Battle of Mogadishu. I was yes. hoping you would pronounce Mogadishu for me so I didn't yeah. mess that up. Absolutely. Um, you wrote a chapter in this book. I um, did. Can you tell us a little bit about just sort of... What what is it about? What, what where did this kind of start? And then we'll delve a little more into it. It actually started um, about the Battle of Mogadishu. Um, Sergeant Eversman was uh, portrayed in the movie as being at the battle at the crash site and whatnot. Let me back it up just a little yeah. bit. In the movie, Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down. And he wanted to write his own story because they kept you know he his character wasn't portrayed actually what he did. Okay. So he wanted to write his own account, and okay. he asked a few of us to participate with him, and he asked me, and I told him, absolutely, I'd okay. love to take part in that. So that's how that came about. So this was 1993, correct? 93, yes. 93, okay. Um, give us just a little bit of background. Where were you, um, just for people who might not have seen Black Hawk Down or aren't as familiar with that storyline and, and kind of the things that took place there? Um, you were at Mogadishu, Somalia, Mogadishu, correct? Mogadishu, Somalia. Right. Uh, we got deployed in August of 1993. The UN had already been in country since December of 91, trying to disperse food. But the warlords were going back and forth, trying to take the food and prevent it from getting it to the people that needed help. Okay. So in, uh, in August of 93, they sent us in to capture him to... Hopefully, that way the food and relief could get to the people that needed it. Well, who was it specifically that you were looking to capture? Uh, Muhammad Farahdid. Okay. Um, so, you how long had you been stationed there? Uh, we were in country for just over two months. Okay. When you yeah. got, when the orders or when this kind of all took place? Or well, is that uh, the total amount of we, time? We there? got there in August of 93 and we left October 93. Okay. So the actual battle happened on October 3rd. Okay. So we've been in country about a month and a half okay. when this happened. Uh, and you were just 22, correct? Yes, I was. Right. So, um... About to be 23. We left two days before my birthday. Okay. So um, I didn't have to spend my birthday there. So well, that's that was exciting. good. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. Nice. yeah. So tell us a little bit about what transpired. Well, uh, it was a Sunday. It was a beautiful day. Normally Sundays are our days off. Mm -hmm. So... The only thing we had to do is just wake up and eat breakfast, and then we're basically on our own. Myself, I was out playing volleyball, because mm -hmm. that's what we did. We just played volleyball all day. And then around 2.30, 3 o'clock, first sergeant comes out and says, hey, got to miss and get it on. So we gear up, we get the operations order, and like 20 minutes later, we're uh, wheels up and heading out. Right from the get-go, I could tell it wasn't a normal mission, because normally we'd fly in and then we'd fly out. This mission, we were going to fly in, but then we were going to load trucks and then drive out. And also, it's daylight. Every other mission has been done at night. Mm -hmm. 
So that's how it kind of started off a little bit uneasy. Plus, we're going into the bee's nest. I mean, we knew it was it was the worst part of town. Okay. That's where all his supporters were, mm-hmm. and they're all big-time supporters of him. So we knew it was going to be some action. So everybody had weapons. Everybody had arms. Everybody was on his side. They were pro him, anti-us. Before we even hit the ground, you could already hear a gunfire going on. Okay. And it was, okay, it's... Be ready once you hit the ground. Be ready to go. How do you prepare yourself when you're when you're going into a situation like that? Like how, how mentally, how do you um, just get ready for that? Uh, years of training. I mean, it wasn't like I just got dropped into that situation. I've been training for that since I joined in November of ninety. Okay. And being in Ranger Regiment, that's what you do. We train as you fight. So you're constantly preparing for that moment that at that time. Okay. So when it does happen you're ready to go. And, you know, our leadership at that point, like my chalk leader, Sergeant Watson, who was my platoon sergeant, his demeanor never changed. Mm-hmm. He was acting like we were back at Fort Benning doing a live fire range, mm-hmm. except for this time it was a two-way range. But his, he was calm and it kept everybody else calm. And it was just, okay, I need you to do that. I need you to do this. And it was just like, focus on the mission, do what you're, do what you're taught, right. you'll be fine. So. Can we back up just a second? Can you yeah. tell us, because you said Ranger Regiment, can you tell us what that consists of, what the, that was like for you just on a daily basis or what that is, um, what uh, that entails? Uh, Ranger Regiment. <laughs> 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 yeah, a lot of running, a lot of PT. Um, it's It was, yeah, I wouldn't want to serve with any other unit because mm-hmm. everybody, you volunteer to go into the Army, then you volunteer for Airborne School. Then you volunteer for RIP, which is a three-week assessment course back in the day, which has changed now. It's much longer and a lot more intense. And then you get to Ranger Regiment. And everybody there is, they've been through the same rigors you have. And everybody wants to be there. Everybody trains hard. Everybody fights. And it's, it was, yeah, probably one of the best experiences of my life, being part of that unit. That's awesome. Yeah. And how many individuals make it that far or are in that in that group? Uh, in the early 90s, attrition rate was probably 80%. Okay. So okay. you could start with 120 wow. and end up with 30, 35. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to the battle and then um, what sort of transpired as you were flying in um, as things were going on? Well, yeah, once we, once we got to the uh, target area, you know, the birds come in a little hard and they flare and they even out, but there was so much dust around, we couldn't see the ground. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure how the pilots were able to navigate in between the buildings, but they told us that they had to drop us a little bit in the middle of the building because of power lines, okay. which is odd because they didn't have power. So down the rope we go and hit the ground. And like I said, it was immediate fire and everybody's protecting their corners. At the time I was a radio man. Mm-hmm. So I was in contact with our company commander and passing that information on to my uh, chalk leader, which is Sergeant Watson. It was a pretty normal mission, and we were getting ready. Everything had been handled. The guys went in, got the EPWs, brought them down. They were loading them up on the five tons. We were about to load up on the five tons. EPW? And Prisoners of Wars, or Prisoners of War, yeah. And um, I think we had 17 or 18 targets, Mm -hmm. you know, collected put him on the truck and we were getting ready to get on the truck and that's when the helicopter went down okay 
And that's. And you saw this? I, I did see it. I actually made the initial radio call because I saw it going down and I was just like, he's making a weird turn. But he kept turning and turning and I was like, oh, he's losing altitude. And I saw him disappear. So I called up the radio, hey, we have a bird down. And then I was like, hey, idiot, they need to know what which bird. And it was a Blackhawk because we had, you know, gunships up. We had little birds up. We had um, video com birds that were up. And I go, they need to know it's a Blackhawk that went down. So that's why I told them we had a Blackhawk that went down. And then all of a sudden, radio chatter raised up to a different level. And now... The mission completely changed from then on out. It wasn't about the EPWs anymore. It was about getting to the crash sites, carrying that, right. and protecting our guys. Okay, so your mission changes now. Yes. Right, so what happens? How does this uh, at that point, happen? we had to move from where our position was to the crash site, mm -hmm. um, which wasn't too far. I would say probably about five, 600 meters, okay. but we're talking about six or seven small third world blocks. Right. So blocks we're not familiar with. I mean, we knew the area around our target building, but we didn't know the ins and outs of the streets. Sure. And not to mention, as you said before, this is filled, this place is filled with... Indeed supporters, uh, yes. yes. Uh, heavily armed, uh, very passionate about what they believed in. Yeah. So as soon as that bird went down, it, you saw a mass rush going towards the crash site which was, it was like, okay, we got to go because we don't want them to get in there right. before us. So, um, you know, we kind of made a, a fragmented, broken from perimeter around the crash site. I mean, we were kind of piecemealed around, but it took us a while to get there because we had to fight the entire way there. And how many of you are headed that direction? On the ground, on foot, there was probably about... 70 to 80 of us. Okay. Yeah, that's not counting the ground convoy, which was like another 30. Okay. But they were already on their way back to the hangar taking um, Blackburn back because he had fell, fallen out of the bird roping in. Okay. So that's that's that was a big thing is because our, our backup gun support was already moving back to take him right. back to the hangar. And then trying to come back into the city was next to impossible because they started setting up roadblocks, burning tires, and just, it was, by that point, it was, everybody was awake and up and ready to go. Right. So, we were outnumbered by quite a bit. Okay. So, what continues to happen as you guys are moving in? Uh, we're just, we're trying to make it to the crash site, and over the radio out here, we're, you know, taking casualties. We got another casualty. We have a KIA. There's another KIA, and it was just like, we were just stacking up casualties one by one. And I was like, oh man, this is getting bad. But meanwhile, I'm trying to focus on what we're supposed to be doing is right. getting to the crash site and just continue to focus on that. And that's what you're there to do is yeah. to do your job. And not to think about what else is going on around yeah. you. Just focus on your mission and your job and your task. Mm -hmm. And then once that's done, you move on to the next one. Um, I mean, there was one point where it was getting pretty grim and I was just like, okay, so the convoy is not coming back, and this is probably about two hours later. It was like four thirty, and uh, they come over and it's like, yeah, the convoys, you know, too bad off. They're gonna have to go back, regroup. They're gonna come back out with the Tenth Mountain QRF, which is their quick reaction force. Okay. And at that point, it got 
really real. And I was like, okay, we have to go ask the 10th Mountain for help. That means we're, we're that bad off. So I was getting ready to yell that to my, you know, Sergeant Watson. I was just like, I can't yell that. I have to go tell him face to face because I don't want everybody else to know, to realize. realize how right. bad off it is. So I was all the way in the back and had to like literally low crawl and get to him. I was like, hey, we're going to be here for a while. They're saying they got to wait on 10th Mountain QRF and then they're going to come out with a convoy to get us. Cool as Sergeant Watson was, he was like, told the team leaders, he was like, guys, conserve your ammo. We could be here for a minute. So only, sh only shoot if you have a target. So then we just kind of, we were, we were attempting to get closer to the crash site, but the intersection we were at, it was the volume of fire was just too heavy. We, every time somebody tried to cross, they were just ended up a casualty. So that's when we decided just to hunker down there and just keep eyes on everything and not try and move and get any closer, just stand where, where we hold the ground we had already. And at that point, we started moving inside buildings. Okay. We started moving inside yeah, a family's house mm -hmm. and basically took that over and used that for refuge for the rest of the night. So how, how many of you were in, you know, did that? Or were you going to separate homes? Separate uh, yeah, separate, separate homes, okay. yeah. So there was, it to, was, like I said, it was yeah. like a broken block. It was like, we knew we had that house in the corner and this house maybe that alleyway over here and it was just kind of we were kind of spread out okay. yeah piecemealed mm -hmm. absolutely is a good word for it i think by six o'clock i made it inside okay. so i was one of the last ones it was like one of the avenues of gunfire so i stayed out there and and then right after i came in i saw a gunner colette came in and then we were all inside so okay. we're all basically collected together okay and we had people outside the house guarding our perimeter but it was really jagged and weird because we knew we had friendlies around us okay. and we knew they were in houses as well so it was weird because you know you had a house here but an alley there that you know friendly or unfriendlies could come down and another house and then another alley so it was like right. everybody in between was you know so it was really you had to be careful on what you shot at yeah so and you're in in homes where there are families correct yes okay and yeah. so how it, it, how does that play out for those of us who have never been in a situation yeah. like well, that? Well, by the time I'd got into the house, uh, they had already been detained and restrained. Okay. You know, um, unfortunately, it was a father and mother with a small child, but they had her flex tied so where she could hold the baby and okay. take care of it. So I mean, we were just trying to protect ourselves. Right. I mean, right. It, yeah. crazy things happen when you're in war. Sure. So. Sure. Um, but uh, you could tell they were scared. I can't blame them. I mean, somebody right. just broke into their house and took it over, and now they're bound and gagged. Right. But, you know, we had to make sure what we needed to do to take care of ourselves. Right. Of so that's what it is. So from that point, you're inside, and it's around 6 p.m.? Uh, by that point, I think it was like 6.30, 7-ish, yeah. Okay. All right. So what happens from there? A lot of waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the room and it's like, hey, we got a spot for you to sit over here. So I sit down and I'm like, okay, cool. We can take a break for a minute. And uh, I was like, I was sliding on the floor and I'm like, what am I sliding in? And I was like, and you could smell it. You could smell the iron in the air from the blood that was all over the floor because that's where they were treating all the casualties. 
and I was like, holy smokes. And I was like, man, and I was kind of looking around. And it was dark, and we didn't have our night vision because it was a 2 o'clock in the afternoon when we were right. setting up. So we didn't think we needed it. We weren't going to be out there that long. But uh, I kept looking around and seeing the medics. Just, there's two medics. We had one of ours, and then we had one of the uh, Delta med with, medics with us. And they were just, two of them were scrambling, just keeping everybody, you know, you know, taken care of. I mean, yeah. they were going through IVs like crazy. I can't count how many IV bags they went through that night, but, um, and just frantically keeping everybody alive, which mm -hmm. is amazing, because those guys did a tremendous job, because there were some really serious injuries they had to deal with. But yeah, so we sat there and did that, and then they said, hey, they're on their way, they're getting ready to come, and two hours later, yeah, they're still on their way, they're getting ready to come. Okay, they're leaving now, and I was like, all right, and then an hour later, I was like, okay, they're getting close, and then you could hear them. Okay. And I was like, all right, they're on their way. Great. You hear them getting close, and then you hear them getting far away again. And it's like, what happened? He's like, oh, they ran to a roadblock. Like, okay, they're coming back. You hear them get close, they're getting closer, then you hear them go back away again. It's like, what happened? Another roadblock, and it was just like, and at that point, I was like, man, I wish they would just get here. But at the same time, I'm not thinking about them mm -hmm. actually fighting their way right. to get to us, then having to leave again, and then come back again, and then leaving. So that was a completely different battle, yeah. just them trying to get, get. to us. Because mm -hmm. I've talked to some friends that were on the convoy, and it was they were like, man, it was... Because they had to sit at the stadium and wait for all everything to get organized, and sit and wait and everything get you know, put in place, then they could go. Yeah. As much as I wanted them to get there, I'm sitting there just waiting for my friends. They were chomping at the bit, like, why aren't we going? We need to go, we need to go. So it, I, on both ends, it was just a bad situation. Right. As much as they, as much as I wanted to get out, they wanted to twice as much get there to get us out. Right. So that happened another three hours. It wasn't until six in the morning, oh, wow. they finally got there. And then we still had to wait another two hours to make sure we got all our comrades from the crash site, yeah. from the crash site. And then we were able to leave. And was everyone accounted for? Everybody everyone was accounted for. Uh, yeah. The only one we were missing was uh, Durant, who was captured. Mm -hmm. But we got him back, I think it was 13 days later. Okay. Yeah. So what for you, I mean, the entire experience just is incredible and and I, I can't imagine how it's burned in your memory um is there any part of it that sticks out to you as just the most um memorable or um exceptional or horrific or what 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 part of that entire experience is the most impactful to you um i would probably it's going to sound a little bit morbid but when uh sergeant fillmore got shot um, the intersection I was talking about where we decided to not cross it, we decided to not cross it right after the shot because he was, he took a round to the head. Okay. And I was trying to call to get an evac for him mm -hmm. and it was like, it's too hot, we can't land a bird, we can't do this, da, da, da. and I was like, well, if we don't get him a medevac, he's probably not going to make it. Sure enough, he did, and that's when we decided just that we don't need putting more people Danger. in harm's way. We just need to bunker down here. And he was a Delta guy, he was an operator. So if he could go down, I can go down. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, 
okay, we really need to be our P's and Q's because if, no matter what you do, no matter what happens, you just need to focus on what you're doing and do your job. You've got all this protective gear. Either when you get it, you're not going to know about it, or if you do get it, you're still be able to function in some sort of way. Yeah. So just focus on the mission, do your job, mm-hmm. and then go from there. And it's incredible that you're able to do that. It really is. And I, I'm sure that mm-hmm. part of you, when you are in that situation, and you see those things happening, your your not only your training, but also your survival instinct just kicks in, and you do the things. That oh, you without need to the, do. yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it is mostly training. Like I said, I go, we trained hard. I mean, the things that you do in regiment, and just to get to regiment, and then stay in regiment. I mean, that's you live for that day. The day they told us we were going, we were jumping up and down, up and down. We're like, yes, 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 yes. A year later, when um, Haiti was about to kick off, it was like, okay, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is jumping up and down. And I'm looking at and I was like, yeah. I was the same way a year ago. I get it. That's what right. you train for. Right. It's what you want to do. You want to go prove yourself on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what we were brought up to do. Bravo Company, we were a little bit more like, all right, you ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was, but it's, but we, when we, once we came back, we trained our guys to be ready for that. Mm-hmm. So even the guys that weren't with us in Mogadishu, they knew it was like, get your game face on. Yeah. And they were ready to go because we had taken the time to train them like our leaders had trained us. Most of the people that trained me were Panamanian vets. So they'd been to the show already. Mm-hmm. So they trained me to be ready for the next episode. Right and I was ready and I thanked them each and every time I get a chance it's like hey you brought me up you told me what I needed to do how what I needed to learn and it helped yeah and I passed the torch on yeah. you know so you got out of Mogadishu yes um did you guys get all the EPWs that you went in for as well or did I you- believe I think most of them made it back, but uh, there was a lot of gunfire that the convoy took. Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly who made it and who right. didn't. Um, and how many casualties uh, that day? Uh, we took 17 oh. KIAs that day. Um, we lost another on the 4th when a mortar attack hit in front of our hangar where we were staying. So all in all, 18 okay. in the two days. What happened after that? Um, how long did were you did you stay there? We stayed in country until the twenty second. Okay. Uh, so another by, three weeks almost. Yeah, by the October fourth, I think it was sixteen hundred hours, eighteen hundred hours, um, they flew a whole nother task force package in. They brought in Alpha Company of Third Ranger Battalion and with another squadron of Delta and another package from Task Force One Sixtieth, which is the helicopter pilots so within 24 hours there's all they they doubled down and brought in another package saying hey we're ready but then u.s decided to say or adid said he's going to surrender so within 48 hours we went from hunting him to protecting him okay which is a bit of a slap in the face it's like okay, wait a minute, we, we were just hunting this guy 48 hours ago, and now we're protecting him and on a flight so you can go talk about peace talks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a bit unnerving. Yeah. So from there, then what? Um, came back home, and we got some time off 
So me and a couple of buddies of mine, we decided to go to Walter Reed because we hadn't seen the guys that got injured on the third and forever. And it's like, they haven't seen any of us either. And it was just like, hey, let's go, let's go up there and hang out with them for a little bit. So that was good. It's good to see them. And they hadn't seen any friendly faces in a while either. So that was, I think that trip was very, very helpful for me. We talk about it all the time how it just resets your clock. Yeah. Because... Yeah, as bad as it was for us, at least we're not laid up in a hospital. Right. But we can go see our guys, right. and there was four or five of them. And so we got to hang out with them. And we also got to go to uh, Arlington because we had a couple of buddies that were buried there. So we actually snuck one of our buddies out. He wasn't supposed to leave the hospital, but oh. his mom was there. So <laughs> we did a little V formation, got him out of the hospital, and we went and paid our respects and uh, came back and I think that's a very grounding moment because it was like, as bad as it was, you know, I came out okay, I wasn't wounded. Um, These guys were wounded. They were still in good spirits. I can be in good spirits. And then it was okay, now back to the job and start training and start getting ready for the next one. At that point, I think it was a month later, I was promoted to sergeant. So then I was a team leader. So now I'm in charge of training my team and training these guys. And I wanted to train them like I was trained, right. train them right and get ready for whatever comes up next. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, I focused on that. And that was just, I just put it off as a memory. We appreciate hearing those things. I think for so many of us, it's um, who have never been in the military and, and it's, it's unfathomable. I can say that for myself you know, in particular, I can't imagine those things. I hear about them, you know, and I'm sitting here chatting with you about it. Um, and, and for you to have moved on from that is such an incredible feat. Um, and to continue, you know, and really to have found a niche for yourself and found a place. Is there something that you can say really helped you do that and helped you move on and then find the things in life that you um, enjoy? Um. I'm not really sure. I guess it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't a short road. It wasn't an easy road. It took time. I mean, it was a lot to deal with and process after, I mean, I mean, three years after the fact, I still wasn't really dealing with it when I got out. Then I'm back into the civilian world, trying to reacclimate myself to civilian thinking again after coming out of Ranger Regiment. Right. Was it's that a, a difficult a, transition? It's a, it's a big switch. Yeah. You know, I didn't really seek out any help for myself through those events. You know, it wasn't a lot of help offered for, you know, to, for us back then right. as well. Not like today. I mean, today it's very forward much thinking about the soldiers yes. and men and women that have right. been in combat, which is good. This is what they need. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a long road. I It was probably... 10 years before I was comfortable being happy in life mm-hmm. and okay with success mm-hmm. and not feeling bad about it and not dwelling on the past, but looking towards the future, mm-hmm. which is, that's a hard hurdle to overcome. And I've talked with other friends of mine and it's like, I, I feel the same way. It's like every time something was going great and everything was going good, it was just like, I don't, I don't feel I deserve this or I shouldn't be here. Right. I, sh- I regret. Survivors. Yeah, sur- survivors remorse, remorse uh-huh. is, 
it's a battle. It's a very big battle. And, and it, like I said, it was about 10 years in, if I finally realized, I was just like, hey, if you were up there, you'd want them to live their life. And you'd be pissed off if they weren't, you know, they're living their life, you know, because everybody wants, some people want to do things like, oh, he would have wanted me to do this. He was like, no, you just need to live your life like you were going to live it, mm-hmm. you know. And since then, I was just like, okay, but I hadn't really, it's kind of just floating along through life and not really setting any goals or aspirations. And then it was like, okay, well, I just need to be happy. Yeah. You know, live your life the way you want to and, you know, do the right thing and make sure you be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, if no matter what time you leave or when you leave, make sure you go out on and being happy mm-hmm. and doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, is there anything else you would like to say? Fortune favors the bold. That was Mike Kurth reminding us to live our lives boldly. We strongly encourage you to read the book, The Battle of Mogadishu, firsthand accounts from the men of Task Force Ranger, and take a moment to thank the men and women who put their lives on the line for our country. Our next podcast will be available on October 18th. Dare to be Bold is a branded podcast from J Forks Designs. This episode was produced by me, Casey Forks, Jenny Forks, and Courtney Cobb. Courtney Cobb mixed this episode. You can find Dare to be Bold on SoundCloud and iTunes or watch on YouTube. Do us a favor and help spread the news about our show. You can also find us at jforksdesigns.com. That's J-F-O-R-K-S-D-E-S-I-G-N-S.com. I'm Casey Forks. Thanks for listening.